0: Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces for a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn also of The Athletic. He covers your Buffalo Bills. And Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Manufacturing. He is here uh, also uh, to talk about the Western New York sports landscape and quite a bit to talk about for mid-March. The Sabres are still god-awful, but the Bills have made some news Uh, And we also have some college basketball to discuss. St. Bonaventure uh, advancing to the NCAA tournament. University of Buffalo going to the NIT in a, well, pretty disappointing display in the Mid-American Conference Championship game uh, against Ohio University uh, over the weekend. Uh, We'll get into that uh, with Jonah uh, in a little bit, but let's – Let's stick with the Bills to top off the show. Um, I saw it trumpeted in a, a local headline that the Bills have won free agency. And while re-signing guard John Feliciano, tackle Daryl Williams, and linebacker Matt Milano was something that Bills fans didn't think was entirely possible, I think there was a common-held belief out there that the Bills were going to lose one or two of those players. Um, Nevertheless, um, some local perspective is that the Bills have won free agency. Um, I think uh, that's open for discussion, and I want to start off with that topic. Um, The premise, I think, is flawed because the Bills got crushed in the AFC championship game They did not enter free agency trying to stay the same. They know they need to get better. Brandon Bean said so in his postseason wrap-up news conference. So did Sean McDermott. Uh, And to say that the Bills have gotten better, I think at best they've treaded water so far. Free agency is still a ways to go. But clearly to say they've won it already when to make these three moves that they've made so far they needed to cut wide receiver john brown uh, defensive lineman Quentin jefferson and we now have heard that they're not going to be able to resign uh pro bowl kick returner andre roberts who has found a new home it doesn't seem as though the bills have gotten better yet yet i'm not i'm not i don't want to downplay it but planting flags after signing John Feliciano seems a bit, a bit uh, premature fellows.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I think the offensive line was a spot that seemed to be an area of relative concern entering the off season because they, you know, both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean spoke about the need to be better in the running game. And Brandon Bean said it wasn't the running backs and there's only, you know, so many factors that go into the running game. So they're betting on continuity being the ingredient on the offensive line that'll help them, you know, get better there going forward. I think as much as, like you said, there was a a belief that they wouldn't be able to bring back all three of those free agents. I think there was also a fair amount of discussion debate over whether it was necessary to bring back all three of them, bringing them all back is one thing, but like you said, does it make them better Uh, at at best makes them right about where they were now they have the draft to, to add some pieces to this roster. Presumably at least a few of those guys will make an immediate impact if they hit on some of those picks. And I think they're also banking on later in free agency or a few days into free agency, getting some of these veteran cheap veterans that everybody seems to think will be out there because the market's been flooded with cap casualties and the cap has shrunk and players might be looking to take one year deals and maybe they can plug some holes that way. And they've brought the band back and they hope they can make another run. But, you know, simply, you know, declaring it a win after bringing back three guys that were already on a team that got handled pretty Pretty convincingly in the AFC championship game by a team that lost in the Super Bowl. And that roster the Bills had in that season, the Bills had, they had a lot of things go right because Brandon Bean also acknowledged at the end of the year, 500 points probably isn't realistic again because of everything that went right, health wise, schedule wise for them. So he kind of already hinted how fortunate they were to play as well as they did on offense or to score as many points, get the results they got. And now they've dedicated a good chunk of their resources to making sure that same group comes back and probably, you know, it's early. So we'll see what the, you know, the market dictates and what all is out there for the bills to, to pounce on here. They have some room to make a few moves. And if, if they're right about, you know, some cheaper deals being available, and they can hit on those, then, you know, they'll have a chance to upgrade. But uh, yeah, I wonder that that hasn't happened yet. So we'll see, you know, um, when free agency opens, it's sort of technically open now, legal tampering started at noon. So, you know, we should get an idea in the next week or so uh, what value there is to be had in the second and third waves. I think it's kind of a Dumb premise overall
2: to evaluate who wins and loses in free agency, even though you see a lot of that, because everybody's playing, everybody's starting from a different point on the track. It's kind of like grading the draft and the teams that have the highest picks and the most picks tend to do better in the draft than the teams that have the fewest picks and the least picks. So I think you could spin it both ways. I think the Bills have done pretty well in the cap situation they were in, being able to sign Matt Milano and the key players that they wanted to bring back renegotiate certain deals, extend Micah Hyde. It seems like they've done what they've wanted to do. They brought back the players they value and the players that they're letting go, either they didn't value them as players or they didn't value their contracts. And I think that's a good position for the Bills to be in, in that they've drafted well enough and done well enough in previous free agency that they like their roster. And we've always talked about teams or people talk about teams, the successful teams don't rely on free agency. They don't need, to overspend in free agency for certain to plug holes or to bring in star power to sell tickets. I think it's nice that that's not in the discussion for the bills anymore. So while I wouldn't really categorize it as a win or lose, cause it's not a game. I do think the bills have done well in free agency. I like that. They did bring back players on the offensive line that seemed to, they had an up and down year on the offensive line, but I think by the end of the year, they found their best five and they were, confident in the group they had at least josh allen seemed to like the five guys that were blocking for him and they seemed to be bringing that unit back and continuity is always a good thing at that position one way i think the bills lost in this game that's beyond their control was that they did if the cap wasn't going to go down this year they did have this window of adding to the roster before you have to pay your quarterback big money and that's sort of closed now that the cap went down and they might be reaching, they might be extending Josh Allen's contract a little bit early. So there was some opportunity cost that beyond their control went away. And I think that they're in a position where I don't think they can make this roster too much better in free agency. They have to hope that the draft or internal development is how this team gets better.
0: And we saw what Dak Prescott got paid. So Josh Allen is going to get a heavy duty contract. Now we don't know what the salary cap is going to be but it sounds like with the rumblings that we're hearing in regards to the NFL's upcoming renewed broadcast deals, that the numbers are going to be handsome enough that there's going to be a lot of room under a big cap at some point. And that's going to be necessary if you're going to want to pay Josh Allen market value, uh, to say the least. Uh, And the market value changes. So next year, I, I'm, if Josh Allen has a season, anything like the season he just had, um, Dak Prescott money, isn't going to be enough. Uh, he's going to be making a lot more, uh, than 40 million a year, which sounds obscene, but that's what the market is, uh, is setting. Uh, I will say though, Jonah, uh, yes, uh, the draft, uh, they can find some players in the draft, uh, and you mentioned them drafting well, but they haven't drafted that well at the front end of the draft. I mean, you have Cody Ford now uh, is clearly a backup, I think, in this unit. Um, Hudson Fairburn, not so sure of that. Uh, he uh, he wants to see Cody Ford get in there.
1: Um, Brandon Bean did say that uh, he envisions Cody Ford as a starter somewhere on this line, so... I think they rolled the ball out tomorrow. He is a starter uh, because Where? I left guard. Left probably. guard. Um, I mean, but three. drafting
0: your left left guard—what three three years into his career—you've used an early pick on a left guard,
1: which would be a good, which would be fine if he were a really good left guard. But I think at the moment you can't say that definitively. And they've talked about the injuries that he's dealt with and, you know, everything along those lines that has, you know, hampered him and the position changes, which is their own doing. They're the ones who were indecisive about where he would play and wanting to see him at right tackle to justify that investment. But I have got no problem with him as a guard, as a second round pick, if he's a really good guard, but if he's not, then, you know, that could be a problem. And if you spend time, figuring that out, that's also a problem. You know, Ike Bucker is a restricted free agent. They haven't tendered him yet. He started a lot and the line seemed to come together a little bit when, when he started at left guard. So yeah, Cody Ford I think is a huge question mark saying that they like Ryan Bates. They do like Ryan Bates. He's probably a center slash tackle. So, you know, that he's maybe a, still a year away now from cracking the starting lineup. There were ways for them to make this line better and, you know, spend the money differently. And they chose not to do it. They got Mitch Morris to agree to a pay cut. They got Feliciano back. I don't know what the cap hit is yet, uh, but it's a healthy contract. He got paid pretty well. Uh, Not crazy money, but Darrell Williams you know, pretty significant deal. These are deals they can get out of after a couple of years, but it's still limiting your options in the short term. And so there's, people. you know, people are saying, well, you know, Cody Ford, Deion Dawkins, Mitch Morris, John Feliciano, and Daryl Williams didn't play one single snap together in 2020, which is accurate. But if Cody Ford isn't that good, then I'm not sure that that matters. So You know, I think they could have upgraded on the interior of their offensive line. They still have time to do it. But now it's a question of if you do spend those early round picks on offensive linemen in the first three rounds, where are they playing and when? You know, how soon are they playing? And, you know, then, you know, there's only so many snaps to go around. So, yeah, Cody Ford at the moment, probably a starter. Should he be? I don't know. That's to be determined. And and can they find somebody better? I'd have to think they should at least try because I think most people would say that the offensive line wasn't quite good enough. It wasn't a massive weakness, but it was a problem in the title game. Is it is it possible,
0: Matt and Jonah, that we misread Brandon Bean when he said that the running backs were not the problem to the – ground game issues that the Bills had. We assume that meant the offensive line. And now here, Brandon Bean has re-signed his two offensive linemen that he wanted uh, that were were set to hit the open market and Daryl Williams and John Feliciano. So what's left?
1: Is it the play caller, Brian Dable? Yeah, I think there are variables, right? There are, and I sort of read it that way partially you know from the beginning was like this idea I think a lot of the messaging during the season was and even from Brian Dable himself was you know if we were a running team we would run the ball like you know they're so good at throwing the ball that perhaps part of the issue with running the ball is the lack of commitment to running the ball Brian Dable mentioned a lack of practice time on it because they knew they'd be a passing team uh you know the I think there's some of those variables, commitment issues uh, up front, maybe scheme issues potentially, but yeah, it clearly was not a direct shot at the offensive line, which we probably should have known because Brandon Bean's not necessarily the one to take a direct shot at an entire position group. And clearly it wasn't taken that way by the players because they came back and, you know, at less than market value deals, but frankly, we'll never know that because, um, they're kind of guessing the market. The bills are at this point the market has not been established and the market got screwed up because of the cap. So um, yeah,
0: the players are guessing too. And they might be in a situation where it's easy to rationalize, um, being happy in a place that you're familiar with. Uh, because if you do go out there and look around, uh, by the time you're done looking, maybe your position has been filled by Brandon Bean. You know, maybe, you know, the, what's the risk of going out there and, and finding out that the grass isn't greener because the salary cap this year doesn't allow it. Not because you're not worth it, uh, because in just your bad timing that you happen to – your contract happens to be up in a weird year in the NFL. Um, so there is a bit more of a gamble involved for the player uh, this year than in other years where you just assume the rates are always going up regardless of your position. Um Inflation allows me to get a raise and to let and for somebody to fight over me. Uh, but the, I don't think teams are willing to fight uh, or to overspend. Maybe a pass rusher with J.J. Uh, Watt and uh, Shaq Barrett coming off the market in the way that they did. Uh, maybe a team that's deferent, um, desperate for a pass rusher would be uh, more itchy to overspend to make sure that they get one, which leads me to the other issue, the other question mark that the Bills had. Does this mean with them running out of money to spend or salary cap space that the bill's pass rush is back to 2020? Is it uh, Jerry Hughes and A.J. Epinesa? Uh, What what are we looking at now?
2: I could see that being a position or a – what do you want to call it? A skill that they target in the draft and hope that maybe – There's a player available in the first round that's a little bit more ready than AJ Epinesa was in that weird pandemic year to help as a rookie. But yeah, I think on the other side of that coin, you took AJ Epinesa in the second round last year to be a pass rusher. So I do think you need to at least give him the opportunity to prove his worth. And to a lesser extent, Ed Oliver, who has provided some pass rush at points in his career but hasn't Mm -hmm. been the dominant interior rusher that he was expected to be, an Aaron Donald-type player, And I think you have to hope and put him in position to try to be that player this season. And if you're not able to add players to the roster, developing your recent draft picks and the players you already have becomes that much more important to getting better next season.
0: How much do we think Star Latula mere presence, just the fact that he's back? Um, What kind of chain reaction might that have on the defensive line? um and, and any kind of meaningful impact it could have on on the edge rushers doing their jobs
1: i wouldn't bank on it being a fix i don't know that you can bank 100 percent on him in at all i don't you know we nobody's heard from him um you know publicly in you know over a year does he still want to play football um we don't know that for sure. Um, is he going to be any good after a year off? We don't know that. So, and even when he was on the field last, I don't think he was a game changer for this team. Uh, probably slightly overpaid at, at his position. A good player, a good guy to have. Somebody that, you know, helps fix that problem of the interior run defense. Uh, if he's playing the way he was uh, in 2019 when he last played but counting on him to be a fix is probably not the strategy you want to go with now they're bringing back a group that got better as the season went along but still fell well short of the price tag that most of those guys were being paid they lost Quentin Jefferson who was fine at times um, you know generated some pass rush he Graded out well in that ESPN pass rush win rate statistic, but didn't turn it into a lot of sacks. Mario Addison's back at a cheaper contract. He's going to be 34 this year. Jerry Hughes will be 33, I believe, at the start of the season. So those guys aren't getting any younger. I think the real Darla Tulale for the record is 31. He'll be, he, he, turn, he turns 32 in
0: December. So he'll be, a, he'll be almost 32 this season or 32 by the end of the season, I guess is.
1: So I think, you know, interior pressure is probably your spot, right? If Ed Oliver gets better, that might be enough to change this pass rusher. Like Jonah mentioned, drafting another guy or signing somebody cheap that can be maybe like a situational pass rusher, not an every down guy. You're not going to find probably an immediate impact like that at 30, but Maybe you do, and or maybe you find a linebacker that can do what Lorenzo Alexander did, and you find another way to create a pass rush that way, but it's still a problem, and it's one that they now have a lot fewer resources to use to fix it.
2: I would think that Star Latulier coming back helps the run defense a lot more than the pass rush on that line, and that could have some sort of ripple effect as to who else they use on the line, and maybe that does open up pass rush lanes for different people because of the personnel groupings, but also the bills seem to figure something out with blitzing more and blitzing with different guys in the second half of last season and they discovered a pass rush that didn't come from the front four so I don't know if you can live on that for another full season you probably do need to be able to pressure the quarterback with just your four linemen rushing but uh, you know not just Ed Oliver Harrison Phillips is a guy that that's supposed to be in his skill set that maybe you can say he was coming off an injury last year and wasn't at full strength, but you still want to see him be better than he is. And at Oliver be better than he is, even though they've both been contributors early on in their career. And maybe there's more that they can get out of Tremaine Edmonds, if he's healthier and Matt Milano and guys blitzing that they can get a better pass rush without having a 12, 14 sack guy coming off the edge, which is the easiest
1: way to, generate a pass rush. Yeah I think it's a position that kind of it's not a one-to-one comparison but it's almost like quarterback and that you can't force it Um, you know they know they have to address it they know they need younger players they've got two older veterans that are kind of stop gaps on the edge for them right now you almost have to be picking high in the order to find the type of athlete that now you know that can become a 10 sack a year kind of guy that you're talking about Jonah I mean later on in the draft you know teams have found those guys and developed those players Uh, it happens but that's one of the positions that high draft picks correlate to success a lot more often like quarterback so I, I wonder to Jonah's point if it'll have to be scheme stuff that that gets them by for a little while, uh, you know, like another linebacker entering into the the blitzing mix, or you know, finding different ways to bring extra pressure because otherwise they're banking on in you know development on their own roster. And you could say Ed Oliver is probably the primary candidate. AJ Epinesa would be a candidate there if he becomes what they they thought they were getting in the second round, and maybe Daryl Johnson a guy the seventh round pick that they've been developing. He's got some talent. They like him. um, But that's a seventh round pick banking on him is tough. So, you know, you can also try to throw a dart here in free agency at somebody who's been underutilized. Uh, I think bringing back Matt Milano is, you know, and, and obviously locking up Micah Hyde is sort of the start of their defense, defensive approach here this off season. But Feels like there's more work to be done, considering what happened against the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, what else is to be done? Or I, I know that uh, you and uh, Joe Biscalia put together a uh, a piece at the Athletic, uh, taking a look at uh, kind of a mock. You no, know, I don't want to cross up all the different uh, coverage that you guys have been doing. Um, There was a mock off season. Uh, There was a free agency synopsis. There was a mock draft. (laughs) There was, uh, okay, so what's the way too early forecast on March 15th of based, based on what we've seen the bills do in free agency so far and how much money they have left. What do the bills do with their first round pick? So many variables at play, especially at 30. You don't know what's going to be available. Um, you don't know if somebody falls to you surprisingly. Um, I know this is
1: early, but what what's the need? It's an it's a really interesting year for the draft because normally, you know, everything you said is true. Handicapping the thirtieth pick is impossible most years. It feels even more impossible this year because all these prospects, you know, some of them played half schedules, some of them did not play. Uh, There was no combine, Uh, you know, teams played screwy schedules. It was just a weird college football year, like everything else, which I think makes this draft even more variable in terms of, I got a few weeks ago, I did a roster projection and threw some draft picks in there. And some people were worked up about, there's no way they'll get all of these guys to which it's like, okay, maybe that's true. But if we're, you know, going with no way, this happens in the 2021 draft. I'm not even entertaining those words because who the hell knows what will happen in this draft. Some guy that somebody thinks is a first round pick, somebody else has him graded as a third round pick or a fourth round pick. It's It's all over the place because of lack of information. But I think the needs and the philosophy are easier to kind of zone in on, especially now that they brought these guys back before it was looking like offensive tackle and linebacker might be, primary needs but i don't know that you spend your first round pick on that after you you locked up your your starting right tackle and, and Matt Milano at linebacker so i think cornerback number 2 corner is a pretty glaring need on the roster as we sit here right now Dane Jackson they want him to compete for a job but they have not tendered Levi Wallace uh, who's a restricted free agent uh, they they'll probably try to bring him back if they can but he's a guy that could uh, you know, probably get a job somewhere given all the snaps that he's played the last few years. So that looks like a spot to me, probably a spot they'll look for a veteran as well. You know, easy spot to find a cheap veteran. They've done that before. And I still think, you know, offensive line has to be in the mix because of what we talked about, not really their strength last year and finding some depth and developing it. If you want a guy to start for you, at guard or tackle or whatever they've gone the route of developing these guys. So why not take one, let them develop behind Feliciano or Darrell Williams. They can get out of those contracts fairly easily. So I think that's a spot and edge rusher. I mean, if they can find one at 30 uh, that seems like a no brainer. There's quite a few edge rushers available, but I know people will bring up running back. It's, it's the sexy pick. It's, Something, you know, everybody wants a first round running back, but I don't know. I, I can't wrap my head around the idea. Maybe they do it. Maybe they look at, you know, like the Chiefs last year and say we're a playmaker away and they justify it as, you know, this playmaker that's available at 30 is going to put the offense over the top, but you spend third round picks on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in consecutive years and then spend a first round pick on a running back. I think that how do you split up the carries? You know, Brandon Bean has been slow to admit mistakes in the draft. In fact, I don't know that he's done it at all, um, given what we're seeing with the offensive line with Cody Ford. Not to say that he's definitively made any mistakes, but he hasn't, you know, he's let things develop, and he's given guys time. Do we think he's going to essentially discard two third-round picks to take a running back in the first round and give that guy the carries that a first-round pick would warrant? I don't know, but I could see a playmaker. I could see a tight end or a receiver if they think, you know, the right receiver could come in and be a kick returner and, you know, be a guy that they can put the ball in his hands and he can be another playmaker. Um, I'm just not really, even with everything happening, I'm still not really on the running back trade in the first round. Jonah, I saw you
0: shaking your head yeah, as no, soon as he uh, mentioned running back.
2: Right. Well, and Matt explained it exactly as I would. I, I don't think there's any chance that, they draft a first round running back after investing two third round picks in running backs that are still on the team. And I think they played well enough that you can't give up on them right away, especially if you're the GM that just drafted them. Also, you have a quarterback that runs a lot. Uh, you know, they like to do the, the sweet plays with Isaiah McKenzie. It's, I don't think that drafting a first round running back and rebuilding the whole running game around this new player is in the cards for this team. And I think it, I also like what Matt mentioned about wide receiver. John Brown, they might not have needed him as a starting receiver, and he was injured for a lot of the seasons, but they did need his speed. And the receivers they have coming back aren't as fast as John Brown was. And I do think that there's an opportunity to add speed on the outside um, in any of the rounds that the Bills should really be looking into that, adding that skill
1: to their offense they use four receiver sets more often than every team besides the Cardinals last year, use three receiver sets frequently. I mean, you you could argue that another receiver is more important to the offense than a running back for sure. Uh, Speed, like you mentioned, Jonah, is something that showed up in the AFC championship game, you know, on the other side of the ball and something that the bills are probably well aware of uh, with the quarterback that they have and the other weapons, you know, that they have on offense, having a, a speed threat because not only John Brown, but Isaiah McKenzie is still unsigned. Uh, probably their two fastest receivers from a year ago uh, aren't going to be on the, potentially won't be on the roster. We'll see what happens with McKenzie. So. And they're, so they're
2: going to need a new kick returner now, probably because both of their kick and punt returners.
1: Yeah. Play. Their okay. primary guy in their backup. Uh, if they don't bring back McKenzie, I would say his value in the building got a little higher with Roberts leaving, but uh, he also got a pretty good audition in week 17 and I'm sure there were some teams out there that, that liked what they saw. So yeah, I think a, a speedy receiver, you know, Kadarius, Tony, that the the receiver from Florida might be gone by 30, who knows. Um, but, you know, having watched a little bit of them and, and, you know, read what Dane Brugler writes about him, I view a player in that type of mold, a guy that can play in the slot, a guy that can move around, you can run the jet sweeps or whatever, but I think you make a great point, Jonah, about Josh Allen running the ball. Um, all the factors that siphon carries away from their running backs and value away from their running backs in some ways, because you know there's only so many carries to go around. Think about the games in which one of those guys was a workhorse; they were pretty much non-existent except for a drive here and there. They're such a passing team, in addition to their quarterback being such a running threat that unless they really want to blow the running game up and say, start from scratch, or they're really trying to be more balanced and take away from that passing game and add more carries. And they're willing to do that. You know, this isn't the Ravens, you know, the Ravens have this option attack and they, they run the ball like crazy. They can justify early picks and running backs, maybe a second round pick the bills could justify, but. A first-round pick for a team that has some long-term, not immediate needs, not like glaring, you know, crazy weaknesses on their roster, but certainly some needs in terms of organizational depth and long-term development. And they went last year, didn't have a first-round pick. Yes, they used it to get perhaps the best player on their team and Stefan Diggs, but that cheap rookie contract, that five-year deal is really valuable to spend it on a running back when you've already got two of them in house, I think is, I don't know, not for me. And I don't, I don't expect it to be for the bills either.
2: And nobody's going to pound the table for a running back. Brian Dable, I don't think is going to say we need a star running back. You know, Sean McDermott's going to want to draft defensive players as often as possible early in the draft. So I just don't see a scenario where the bills feel like we need to
1: get a running back in this round. It's plausible that they've fallen out of love with Devin Singletary. That. That could be uh, certainly possible, right? It's been a couple of years. He's a third-round pick, but didn't have a great year. I could see that. Like, But they just drafted Zach Moss uh, in the third round. And Zach Moss had a good year when they gave him the ball. Uh, he's you know, somebody that they liked so much that they were trying to trade up for him last year. So they were willing and ready. They also benched him
0: in the AFC championship game.
2: Sure, but the people that drafted
1: Or
0: Wait, or am I confusing him and Devin Singletary? Now, I, now, I'm, now I'm blending. Moss, he they it was Moss in. who dropped the pass, right?
1: Not, and uh, Moss was hurt for the AFC Championship. Right, game.
0: yeah, okay. Well, it was sing- yeah, it was Singletary, Singletary, Singletary because they used T.J. Yeldon.
1: Yeah, oh. so that's why I say, like, I could. My bust. You Sorry. Could, Sorry. You, Sorry, Zach Moss. All right, friend of the show, and here you are saying he was benched while he was probably under the knife, like, there was a game where he got bad for fumbling. He you? did. Yeah, yeah. That was the San Francisco game. He fumbled right near the goal line. They gave him the ball back the next week. And I believe the next week was the Steelers game when he had the long drive that that Tim wrote about, uh, at the athletic. It, it seems way too early for them to give up on a guy like that. Singletary, if you're saying, Oh, maybe they're ready to give up on Singletary that I could see, uh, So, maybe, I guess, take a running back in the second round or whatever and find a trade. You have to go back one game
0: to find Sean McDermott being so upset with Devin Singletary that he went with a guy who wasn't necessarily given a uniform on a weekly basis and is also
1: a free agent. So, you know, not a guy they were clamoring to bring back either. Um, Take a running back by all means, take one in the first round. I don't know. Seems, seems a bit much. they were ready to that's what Ralph Wilson would do led the
0: NFL in uh, drafting running backs uh, for years and years and year. in fact probably by the, at, at his death, if you'd go back to even o- when OJ Simpson was on the team, Ralph loved to draft running backs just didn't care didn't care about the quarterback position too much. In fact, it wasn't until EJ Manuel that the Bills drafted a quarterback with their first pick of the, of the of a draft. Jim Kelly was a first round pick, but they drafted Tony Hunter two spots ahead of him. So, um, JP Lossman, of course, was a first round pick, but wasn't the first their first pick in that draft.
2: Um, anyways, well, Ralph's not making this pick, right?
0: No, I don't think so.
2: Ralph Kruger, he might I, have. I can't get it
0: confirmed, but. I want to take this opportunity, fellas, to let everybody know that Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bisson, Kirshner. People might hear that CTBK and occasionally wonder what it is. It stands for Shampoo Travis and Kirshner. They're CPAs and business consultants, and uh, they're based in Amherst, New York. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. And CTBK will pair every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. CTBK over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. I want to switch now to the Buffalo Sabres. I really don't know if there's anything more to say that hasn't been said. They've lost a couple of more games. Uh, They have now lost 10 in a row. Um, These most recent losses are to be expected because they're playing against really good teams, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, most notably here. Uh, or most recently, I should say. Uh, another game this evening against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, at least in Las Vegas, I'm guessing that uh, the odds are that the Sabres uh, are expected to lose an 11th straight game tonight. Ralph Kruger still has not been fired. At this stage, it doesn't look like he will be because how much more embarrassing for the Pagulas can it get how much more embarrassing are 18 straight losses compared to 10 straight losses? Not a lot. I don't think, I think at some point it's, uh, I guess diminishing returns. Um, when you've, uh, once you've lost 10, how much more humiliating is it to lose three more or five more? Um, no help seems to be on the way. There've been players waved around the NHL that could have been picked up. Uh, there's now COVID problem in Rochester uh, to where players can't be called up. Um, I don't know. Jack a- oh, oh, right. Well, oh, that, uh, Jack Eichel out for the quote foreseeable future, unquote, whatever that means. Um, I, Dylan Cousins got
1: banged up there too. Uh, Dylan for- Cousins,
0: Rasmus Dahlin took a leg to leg hit or a knee to knee hit. Um, there was Carter no Hutton pushback finally played a good game. Yeah. Carter had to play a good game, but I guess maybe let's, let's uh, you know, they're boiling the blood is a nice comment. It sounds great. Ralph Kruger had that to say after the first penguins loss uh, in which cousins and Darlene were injured and why there was no response uh, with, with uh, flashbacks to Paul Gostad uh, standing there while uh, Ryan Miller Looked like the crumpled heap uh, of Beetle Bailey after Sarge got through with him uh, 10 years ago or however long ago that was. Uh, and then there was no response. So Ralph Kruger saying they're boiling the blood. We're, we're cooking up a response uh, to the Penguins in our next game. Well, they had the rematch and nothing happened. Um, I don't know. I'll just open it up for you guys if you have any comments on the Sabres. Is there anything to discuss that really that gets you, what's on top of your minds?
2: I mean, not tonight. Don't try, I try to think about the Sabres as little <laughs> as I can. I am covering the games Thursday and Saturday, but I'm spending a lot more time thinking about the New Jersey Devils and the Boston Bruins and probably writing about the team that wins that game and not the Buffalo Sabres. On the other hand, uh, they do play the New Jersey Devils tomorrow night, which is a possibly winnable game i mean it seems it's a team they've beaten already this season it seems like a team they play those games are toss-ups they Uh, goes
0: back and forth between those two
2: they play they actually play washington tonight which is a tough game they've lost them a few times but they did have one win earlier in the season with jack eichel and when they were playing better but i don't think that if you're oh is it is it
0: washington tonight i said pittsburgh
2: yeah yeah it's washington tonight but okay i'm sorry washington tonight but the point remains not a easy game
0: not a win. Yes. Still a game. They're not supposed to win. Mm
2: -hmm. But I don't think if you're a Sabres fan, that's turned to maybe rooting for them to lose, because as you said, how many games can they lose in a row before the coach gets fired? I don't think he's going to get fired at least in this winning streak. I think everybody involved in that decision is probably digging their heels in They're not gonna, you know, fall victim to the media and fan pressure. And I, I I don't know what's going to happen going into next season, but they seem to be pretty resolute in riding out this wave that they're on right now, no matter how bad it gets.
0: I think that's true. I think there's really nothing that can be done to spark this team. Uh, You fire Ralph Kruger, I guess that in and of itself might wake the team up uh, for a little bit. Maybe they get excited to play for whoever they bring in, or they just, you know, promote one of the assistants. Hell, uh, go with Kyle Ocposo, uh, at, or Eric Stahl. Make Eric Stahl the player coach. Like, let's do throwback to the 50s and have a player coach. Uh, and maybe it wakes the guys up or whoever the backup goalie is for the night. He can stand behind the bench and, uh, and, and help, uh, with the lines and stuff in his gear. In his full, absolutely. Cause he has to be ready in case, uh, he's needed. Um, it would make for a nice photo, but I don't, I think suit that on
1: top goalie pads on the bottom,
0: <laughs> right? Like the episode of the office when Michael Scott was wearing his halfway inflated sumo costume, <laughs> cause he was doing the, the fat man, uh, his fat man character. Uh, yeah. And put the suit on top of the goalie pads. And uh, I think that it's not going to matter. So the, I, my belief and this is like reading tea leaves, uh, is that Kruger's done, but with quarantine rules and all the different things, uh, they're going to want to pick from the most available coaches. Um, We discussed it on a previous podcast that maybe it's better for them to not um, have as many options as possible. Maybe it's better if they are just limited to uh, the couple who are available right now. Uh, so that way they don't mess it up. Uh, but anyways, it just seems, I think there are a lot of people that after each loss think, well, that's gotta be the one that, that costs Ralph Kruger his job. I don't, I think it's going to have to get something really embarrassing is going to have to happen. Um, like Ralph Kruger decides to play seven minutes of the third period without a goaltender, or he pulls a Norman Dale from Hoosiers, and uh, goes with uh, four skaters and tells the ref, My team's
1: on the ice. Um, yeah, you have to be defiant in some way.
0: Yeah, there's going to have to be some sort or of or something. the players refuse to play. You know, somebody ref- somebody quits in the middle of the game. We have a Vontae Davis uh, situation. Uh, I don't know. I don't, or but if I think players
1: get really vocal and it starts to become because as it stands right now, they had a pretty. Turbulent few weeks in the early part of this losing streak, where there was embarrassing moment after embarrassing moment, whether it was crisscross communication or, you know, all these different things with Ralph Kruger and Kevin Adams had to come out and talk. And my sense since then is that this has become a much quieter stretch of losing for them. Like after that, they were the center of attention. They were everybody was just watching every screw up and now they've kind of faded back into the background, free agencies happening with the bills. Uh, you know, people are talking about that. And if you fire Ralph Kruger, you've got to have your new coach quarantined for two weeks, unless you, you know, hire one of his assistants and there's less than two months left in the season. So my, I think like you, Tim, I, I kind of think they're sitting there saying, look, look, Ralph, just go out there for the next two months and like, don't come, completely embarrass us don't do uh, beyond just the losing of course that's embarrassing in and of itself like the 10 game lo- I think he could lose every other game as long as he does it quietly and you know without any outward displays of complete uh chaos if it's just subtle you know ineptitude I think that can uh that can f- fly until early May when the season ends and they can just get the whole thing over with at that point.
2: Well, I don't want to say that they are tanking or necessarily recommend tanking, but at this point in the season with the record they have and, you know, the injuries and the players they have, if you bring in, say, a Ted Nolan type and he rallies the team and they bring up a bunch of minor leaguers and they play harder and they win some extra games and they get a higher draft choice or a lower draft choice because of that. Is that really what you want? And who are you doing that for just to satisfy – you know, the reporters on the conference calls that are saying, you know, we need to see something. We need to see results. I, I just don't think that there's really much to be gained. A by lot of shade that. being
0: thrown on uh today's uh Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. Well, no, I mean I'm just saying I started be... it off. I'm not I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just I like how it's carrying through.
2: Yeah, that would be the reason why you would fire the coach at this point is because the fans and vocal segments of the media are insisting that you have to. And I just don't know if what's to be gained by doing that at this point in this type of season.
1: I think what's to be gained is, you know, there's a good chunk of this roster, not a, well, the hope would be not a sizable chunk, but a decent amount of these guys could be back. And I think what you gain potentially is People roll their eyes at you know culture or whatever else, but I think if you ever want to be a winning team, at some point you have to establish that. At some point, you know, guys need to figure out how to win, figure out what it feels like to to play hard. These guys that have lost and only lost: Ristlin and Eichel, now Cousins, Dalene, Middlestadt, Sam Reinhardt. That's those guys are probably all mostly coming back. And, you know, I guess what more does two months of losing do to them that these other years haven't done, but maybe some sort of shot in the arm could be developed with the right coach, not a reason to do it, especially if it's not a coach that's going to carry over and you're going to bring them back. Uh, You know, I think that's where it becomes a little, Uh, silly and yeah you do probably ruin your draft position and everything else but there would be something to be gained from firing your coach and ripping off some wins and having some good mojo going problem is I don't know if they have the talent for it Jack Eichel's hurt Uh, they seem destined to lose these games regardless of who's behind the bench so the quarantine rules and everything else kind of just makes it justifiable in some ways to sit there and just say ride it out if, if anything, and you got to fire Ralph and like have somebody come up from Rochester and coach the team or an assistant, if you have to get to that point, but hiring your permanent replacement at this point seems like it might be tough. But like I said, if you're picking between Claude Julian and Bruce Boudreau, you're probably your batting average or your chances of hitting there. It's probably just as good as if you wait until after the season, expand your pool and, You know, hire some college coach or something. So,
0: but with either of those two guys, you're just going for experience because they have been fired a lot between the two. They haven't tried that.
1: They haven't really tried that route. That's right. It's
0: been Ron Ralston. Well, they did with Ted Nolan. They got, they did the retread with Ted Nolan when, with the the LaFontaine Nolan 10. Dan Bilesma.
1: Dan Bilesma was, uh, yeah. So Uh, it's not that they haven't tried it, but the last two coaches, that wasn't the thing. So it's like, um, but also this idea, I think there's also a problem of treating this coach as whoever you hire as like your Sean McDermott. But you can't. It's not like football. Like go hire Bruce Boudreau, and if in October, next October your team sucks, fire him and get somebody else. Teams do it all the time. I mean, Claude Julien just got fired from a good hockey team. Uh, so treating these guys as these permanent, long-term, you know, fixtures. Can be a bit of a problem, like, oh, you need some time to turn this around. Like, it's just not entirely true. I don't think the revolving door in hockey is as much of a problem as it is when you try to do it in football. I think it is when you have so much
0: already um, invested, it's a bad word because they were, well, I guess they were just bad investments. When you were already paying out so many people not to work for you, as these neighbors are. Um, you know, and that's a, it's a team that loses a lot of money, especially when uh, hockey, hockey teams are like that. And if you don't make the playoffs, you're not going to turn a profit with the exception of a couple. Um, so it's difficult. What about the, and we'll wrap it up on this and I want to talk some basketball, but what about the idea of, and it, I guess it goes to what Jonah was saying before, you, you know, just not to appease the fans or, or people or the media who are banging the drum to do so. And maybe there isn't much community goodwill left to worry about losing. But that's the one thing. It's like every day, every or every game, every loss, or every day that Ralph Kruger is still the coach, there seems to be that much more of an erosion of any interest in the Sabres. And as we all know, anger is a better – is a better emotion for your fans to be feeling than apathy. And it just seems as that the more this drags on is that it's it's off into oblivion. Uh, Is there a reason maybe for that, just to yank fans, you know, and and yank them back and say, look, hey, we do care. Uh, Is there any, is there anything to be done or anything to be said for that kind of maneuver?
1: Perhaps. it would be a short-term thing anyways, right? Like, I guess it, it shows a little bit more that they care than it would, than it would at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, there's a message that could be sent, but it's a question of, would you rather that? And then people are talking about you again, or is that general state of apathy? Okay. For a couple of months, you know, are you okay letting that wind its way, you know, run its course here and then firing the guy, because, you know, there's not going to be a lot to, uh, to be, you know, what happens if you fire the coach in the next four games, they come out flat and they don't play well and they lose anyways, you know, how, how much goodwill do you have then? Uh, So I think they've lost all those maneuvers. They're, they're out of those moves, those short-term good for the fan base, good for PR I think they've run out of every card that they could play at this point. The only thing to do is to get better. And so if they think waiting to fire Ralph Kruger will give them a better chance to get the guy that can fix it, then that's probably what they should do regardless of what the fan base thinks, because they're not winning over the fan base by doing the obvious and firing Ralph Krueger. The only way they're ever going to win any of these people back is to win hockey games. Like that's it at this point, it's been so long that Nobody is going to get excited by anything, I don't think, because why would they? They've gotten excited by so much. Jack Eichel and Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly and Robin Lehner. And then it was Rasmus Dahlin. Like they got this number one pick and then Dan Bilesman, you know, and then it was Jason Botterill was going to fix everything. And Ralph Krueger was this, they've gotten excited. Maybe there's some people out there that have it in them to get excited again, but I don't think firing Ralph Kruger is going to get anybody excited. It's going to, it's such an obvious move at this point that feels like the only way to win these people back is to actually win games. The only time I've seen this town legitimately fired up about hockey since I moved here in 2014, of course, people were excited. There's times that I think of that they've been fired up the draft in uh, 2015. The draft when Rasmus Dalin went number one, people were pretty excited. And that 10-game winning streak. You know, the only on-ice thing that's actually gotten people excited was that winning streak. Go do that, and maybe people will buy in. I was I hear people talk about this team, and you were talking about how people rooted against them during the tank years for the sake of the team. Now it feels like people are rooting against them because they legitimately don't like them. Like, they're legitimately so sick of them that they're just laughing at what's happening. And it's like a defense mechanism where people don't even want us to see them win because it's like now they want the coach fired. And yeah, I, think I don't even every, know what it is.
0: Every loss gets them one step closer to blowing it up. And I think they want it blown up.
2: And I'm more curious what happens if they start winning. If maybe they can get hot in April or at the uh, finish on a, a nice 10 game run, does that? Save Ralph Kruger's job? Does that save a lot of the roster construction and make people think or make the organization think they can go into next year with largely the same group and be competitive? I think be, we're beyond that. How dangerous. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm wondering. Is that is that out of the And then you could sell it as look, they, they were finally
0: picked, they finally absorbed the system, uh, they're finally buying in, they're finally Cold listening.
2: Jack Eichel's finally healthy. Like maybe it, it it's a point where in the goaltending, it, it, if they get to one of these stretches where we only had our number one goaltender and a healthy Jack Eichel for the last three weeks of the season. And look how good we were in those three weeks. I could see that being a justification to run it back with this group for next year.
0: Yeah, I, I could get there, but based on what I'm seeing on the ice, I can't I can't fathom those those same players playing in any way, in any meaningful way. I think they've tuned out the coach and they are already in, in their minds playing out the string of the season. They want to go home. They want to get on a bass boat and go fishing. They want to jump in their golf carts. Um, But they also
2: seem to like this coach other than maybe Jeff Skinner. They seem to like not having the morning skates and the way he talks to the media Without really calling them out individually, I think it's been sort of reported that Jack Eichel and the players like Ralph Kruger more than they've liked the previous. But then coaches. Ralph,
0: or but then Jack Eichel uh, contradicted him publicly over yeah, the injury. There
2: was that. There was that. But I, I don't necessarily think Jack Eichel's gotten coaches fired before, so you would think if Jack Eichel wants a new coach, there might be a new coach here.
0: Well, we'll see what happens with Jack Eichel at the trade deadline too. But I mean, I know that that would be. That would be the nuclear option.
2: Um, I think it would be malpractice if I own the Buffalo Sabres to let this general manager with no help, with no lieutenants, and no, and a coach who is sort of his co-GM but is a, a coach swimming in boiling water to make the decision to trade Jack Eichel right now. I mean, you I think imagine. you have to hire a GM and a coach just to make the right Evaluation on trading Jack Eichel and what he's worth.
0: Do you imagine Gary Bettman stepping in and saying, "No, you're not
1: allowed to do this trade"? Yeah. David Stern would, right? Like the commissioner of your David Stern has right stepping yeah. in saying, "No, this is no this is collusion." Unless oh,
2: you can't know, do it, you could also look at it it's like maybe not. the NHL wants Jack Eichel on a team that wins and is going to be playing on. Yeah, get get one on. of their
0: star players out of this this uh, swamp that is. Uh, downtown Buffalo, or at least uh, the arena anyway. Uh, Let's talk about college basketball before we wrap it up here. Um, Obviously, uh, very interesting weekend of uh, Western New York uh, basketball. Uh, University of Buffalo gets to the Mid-American Conference Final. I don't know what the point spread was in that game. Uh, They had lost by one point to Ohio early in the season and I think won by 20 maybe a week or two before that uh before facing ohio university in the final
2: that's correct uh, but ohio
0: university was tearing through the mac they were scoring a lot of points uh and i think that they are just peaking at the perfect time and ub really didn't have much answer uh they seemed frustrated for a good chunk of the game very early on of course they they dug a big hole and just couldn't get out of it um uh, and then, of course, uh, well, let's just stay with that one, and then we'll touch on the, the other teams. Um, what are your, th- your thoughts on UB ending its regular season and uh, not being able to advance for a third straight NCAA tournament?
2: Well, oh, you mean not three people? Well, I, I actually think UB had a, a very good year. They're playing in the NIT, which is a little bit of a surprise with the way the NIT was constructed. And what yeah, that was going to be a follow-up saw. question. I, well, I think that. And I, but I also think winning. Uh, what was it, seven in a row, seven in a row, or ten to twelve? However, they got. I think it was more than seven. To get to that final game was an excellent finish to the season. They were the hottest team in the league with Ohio going into that final game, and they played a terrible first half. They scored twenty-one points in the first half. They had about. You know, they were behind on points per minute, They were less than a point per minute for most of the first half. It had been six years since they had had any half when they were that bad offensively, and they fell down by 20 points, and that's way too much to come back from. It was a poor performance. Uh, Jason Preston, the Ohio point guard, had a great game, and Buffalo's point guard, Ronaldo Sagu had one of his worst games of the season. I think that matchup and the 16-0 run that Ohio went on early in the game decided the entire game, no matter what, just about anybody else uh, on UB's roster or bench could do about it. But you take that half and that game out of it, they played great for most of the second half of the season after coming out of their COVID pause and getting healthy. They're still playing in the NIT, which isn't what everybody, you know, the NCAA tournament is the goal, but this is only the second time and the first time in 16 years that UB's been in the NIT with a reduced field. So I think it's a bit of a a bit more
0: of an honor this year,
2: right? Yeah. And there were teams like Duke and other teams that apparently reportedly turned down invitations, but it's still, I think when you balance both of that together, equal to being invited to play in the NIT in any other year. And when you are invited to play in the NIT, that means you're about a top 100 team, top third of division one. It's kind of equivalent to the bowl games that UV football gets invited to. So I think that it was a very good season. It it fell short of what this UB team did a couple years back. But aside from that, it's almost as good as any other UB season that they had before this recent run when they were a top 25 team. So I I think that I wouldn't be too disappointed if I was a Buffalo fan with how this season played out.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a pleasantly surprising development if you're a UB Bulls fan to see them uh, invited to the NIT and to be able to continue their season. Because it's the NIT or nothing. Uh, those other minor tournaments don't exist this year. So um, so that's, that's a, a fairly, fairly pleasant yeah.
2: consolation. It's, it's a different NIT. They're going down to play in Frisco, Texas, where normally first-round NIT games are on campus, which is usually the cool thing about a local team making the NIT. Sometimes they get a home game out of it. And if you get to the finals, you get to go play in MSG, which is a cool thing, and that won't happen this year. But still, being able to put up an NIT banner. In some schools, they don't put up NIT banners. But I think Buffalo is the type of program, a Mid-American Conference program, that would be proud to put that up with their other NIT and NCAA banners in the gym.
0: And it shows a streak, too, which I think, uh, just from banner purposes, if you were to put it up there as just an NIT and that's all you got, Or if you got a bunch of NITs, uh, then a recruit might walk in there and say, "Well, this isn't for me." But you have these NCAA banners, and then an NIT it shows consistency, uh, especially in a conference like the Mid American, uh, where you only get one bid, and you can you can show and like look at, you know, it doesn't stop. Like we keep going. Like we might we didn't win the conference this year, but we were that we were right there. Um, Especially
2: if they can win some game in the NIT and make a run and. Uh, maybe be semifinalists. I'm not so sure they will, but if they can, then that even adds to what they were able to accomplish this season.
0: St. Bonaventure did win its conference and then the tournament. Uh, Mark Schmidt, uh, no longer a candidate for Boston College. Uh, BC filled its uh, vacancy today. So maybe people uh, will stop talking about that uh, for the time being. And uh, the St. Bonaventure can focus on uh, its first round matchup on Saturday. Um, what are your thoughts uh, on Bonaventure? They're the nine seed, uh, going up against LSU. Um, I want to, I think it's Kem Palm says that, uh, says Chem-Palm that uh, St. Bonaventure
2: is the favorite, right? One point favorite because they're rated higher on KemPOM Palm and it's a neutral site game. Yeah. They're a top 25 team on chem Palm and LSU, I think is at 29. And so that in those calculations puts Bonna as, as the favorite. I don't think they're going to be the betting favorite are they the seeding favorite and LSU is a team that a lot of people think is underseeded. So it's a tough matchup for Bond in the first round, but they're playing great. They're playing better than they have. They keep getting better as the season goes along, especially through the conference tournament on neutral courts. They took care of the, you know, if they're the best team, they took care of the second and third best team handily in the semifinals and the final. And they're as a nine seed, this is the second highest seed that any, Western New York team has had in the modern 64-68 team tournament. UB was a six seed a couple of years ago when they were nationally ranked, and beyond that, everybody's always been uh, double-digit seeds, whether an 11 or a 12 for Bonner or UB or Canisius and Niagara always going to be lower than that when they make it. So this is, if not, this is one of the best college basketball seasons in 50 years, along with that UB run a couple of years ago, and they have a chance to do what that UB team did, which is win a first-round game and advance to the next round it probably would be against number one seed michigan which would be a really tough uh opportunity to go to the sweet 16 but with a team full of juniors uh, the way they're playing i think that it it's kind of found money at this point just being in the nsa tournament but if they can win a game or two then it becomes you know one of the best seasons in st bonaventure history
0: what's going on with damon Damon, obviously, uh, both men and women's programs are, have been fantastic this year. Um, what's, uh, give us a, a preview of, uh, of those two programs, both, if you would.
2: Both Damon basketball teams have won an NCAA tournament game in the Division II NCAA tournament for the first time in the, I guess you would say, seven years, but six seasons because there was no tournament last year. Last year was the first year that they both qualified for the tournament, and they are probably both a little bit better last year than they were this year. It was a little bit easier to get in this year, and they're seated higher with uh, you know lower records than they had a year ago, but they both won their first-round games. The Damon women won their game at home. They play a regional final game tonight at 6 on their home floor, have a chance to be in the Elite Eight, the national, Sem- the national quarterfinals. If they win tonight against the team that they've beaten in the regular season, Robert Wesleyan and the Damon men, they're the number two seed playing tomorrow uh, in Albany against the number one seed, St. Thomas Aquinas, which is a team that they're now playing for the fourth time this season. They beat them once they lost twice, including in the conference title game, but they were mostly competitive games, all three ways. So Damon men have an opportunity to also win that game and get to the uh, next round of the tournament or they it's further than they've ever been already, but getting to it, they, the division two tournaments, almost like two tournaments, you start in a regional and then everybody goes to an 18 tournament and being whether it's men or women being in that final eight is quite an accomplishment for a relatively new division two program.
0: Yeah. It's uh, Damon has built uh, something really special there. Um, in, it's entire athletic department. Really. They've, they've done, uh, they've been a lot of pretty cool things.
2: Um, it's big for Damon hosting this tournament, the, way sure, on the women's side. Right. The exposure that they get and being, you know, if this goes well, they, well, in Division Two you host the regional when you're the number one seed in most years, but, you know, th- there'll be other opportunities and different ways that Damon can host NCAA events and doing this during the pandemic with these conditions, if it goes well, we'll, we'll give them the opportunity to maybe do it again.
0: All right. That's a wrap. That's a spin around Western New York sports. Sorry, we don't have time to talk bisons today, Matthew. I know mm-hmm. that uh, you had some thoughts on Casey Candell uh, as the manager, and how much you used to love to watch him sprint the first base after a walk. Um,
1: There's plenty you, of time for that. Plenty of time for baseball takes. We're almost there. Almost. It's Casey Candell, ring of. Do
0: you remember him at all as a player?
1: I don't. The name sounds vaguely familiar, but
0: Montreal Expo, which also which dates him in and of
1: itself. Montreal Expos were. When did they stop being a thing? Two thousand four. Yeah. So that was I was twelve years old. Well, we're um, talking.
0: Casey Candel played in the eighties. That's when he was. Uh, he came in. I don't know how long he lasted. I have to go back and look. But
1: point being, there's everything. not many expos I do remember other than you know, the Vlad Guerreros of the world. Um, but good times, nonetheless.
0: Broadcasters used to go nuts because look at this guy hustle. He'd walk and sprint the first base. And they would, the TV pro, whatever show he was on, they would show it. You know, usually a guy walks, they're showing who's coming up from on deck. Uh, they're taking a look at the bullpen. Now it was the camera just would follow him all the way because he was hustling. Casey Candel was a, uh, Casey Candell and Sean McDermott are going to get along great.
1: He, you could say he was kind of like uh, like the Patriots here in the opening of free agency. They are hustling to get some deals done. <laughs> as, well, if you're as, not going to
0: have a good quarterback, you got to make up for it somewhere.
1: As we've been recording this, the Patriots have spent uh, about $146 million uh, in total contracts. With some big names, John U. Smith, Matt Judon, Jalen Mills among them. are Jeff Howe at the Athletic reporting that they're also in the market for a receiver and making some various pushes that way. So how about um, John Brown? A busy, busy day for for them. Why so would, would you bother? I mean, the Bills already won free agency. Well, Why'd that's what I'm saying. They're to the back? They're, they're hustling. They're chasing them. Uh, you know, you're seeing two too much different approaches to free agency, uh, between the, uh, the bills and the Patriots here. This is an unfamiliar Patriots approach. We haven't seen it. Somebody tweeted that in the previous, uh, 10 years in free agency, they spent 309 million. They're up to 146 million in the first uh, three hours here. So, that was from Warren Sharp on Twitter. Um, busy day for knowing one. and they still have Cam Newton for now.
0: Well, Do we yeah, think he starts? There, we'll see.
1: Maybe. All right, guys. Be better.
0: Let's uh, let's reconvene a little later in the week. We'll get more and we'll get more in depth with uh, Bonaventure LSU matchup, and uh, we'll probably have a couple more Sabers losses to talk about. You guys up for it? I'm into it. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. No, hang on a second. You don't tune into this. What do you do? Thanks for downloading this. Thanks for listening. Is the this? word. <laughs>
1: Watching. Okay. Consuming. Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. You know. Oh.
1: Intaking. Sorry. Sorry.
0: If, sorry if I cut you off there, Jonah. Didn't I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah.
2: Don't interrupt me anymore.
0: Thanks everybody for listening so closely. Okay. Thanks, boys. I gotta jump on some of these free agent signings.
1: Yeah, you better. Otherwise what do you I'm guys got place. going on?
2: Like well, it might be better if we for me, if we could do Wednesday instead of Thursday, because I gotta cover the Sabres Thursday and some other things. But I also could fit this in Thursday if we did it Thursday.
0: You prefer when it's all the same
2: to you guys, I got, you know, a wide open Wednesday and a bunch of things going on Thursday.
0: What, what about Friday?
2: Uh, I could probably also do it Friday too. Yeah.
0: I'm okay with doing it Wednesday. I just don't know if, um, it's like too soon. Like if, but if well, we're going to do, I think, if we're going to focus, I don't think that's
2: a matter if we talk about different things and you could put it up Thursday morning. True. I don't know. I could also make it work Thursday. I'm going to try to get, all right, how about this?
0: Let's try. I'll, I'll try to do we'll, we'll tr- focus on doing it Wednesday. I'm going to try to get Jim Sadlin. Uh, he's the Syracuse broadcaster slash former Bonaventure coach. Yeah, but he's know, available last
2: year. He kind of didn't know what he was talking about with Bonner, Cause I don't think he watches the games. Or maybe he's been home watching, but he, you, we had him on last year and he was like Syracuse. He knew it all. Cause he, right. covers it. and right, Bonner, right. he was sort of like, Oh, they got those good players. I like that number 12. That's what I remember a little okay. bit. Of it. So I mean, maybe we could do him, but I, I do remember last year he seemed a little unprepared to talk about the Bonnies because. How about if what? we get somebody but, like Mike Vaccaro, well, that's what I was thinking. There, there's a lot of people we could get.
0: I'll, mean, I'll I'll reach out to Vac. He'd be right, a good yeah, guest. We could talk about good. all kinds. of would good,
2: good. Yeah. or even Sully. I think could Sully could baseball. be the backup if we don't get anybody else. You just have Sully him. Okay. But Vac, yeah, would be we'll a get, good one. get we'll he get somebody back. for Wednesday. Good if idea. Vac, that would be good. Okay. Yeah, or Woj. I don't have a
0: relationship with Woj, though.
2: I mean, I could probably get us Tim Wynn. I don't know if you want him, but he's... Oh, what's friend. he up to these he days. days? He lives in North Carolina, but depending on whatever his work schedule is, I think that he's... Uh, is he coach? Uh, I don't think so. He's, he's got a son that plays baseball. I see that on Facebook a lot. But he's Mr., you know, he's following it. He posts about that in high school stuff. I mean, he's... Where's Turner it. Battle these days? Turner Battles, uh, where is he? Is he still at? No, he's not still at UAB. He's an assistant somewhere. He got a new gig.
0: I got a number yeah. for him. Um. Okay. Well, we we got uh, we'll get options. I'll between now and Wednesday, I'll get somebody. We'll talk basketball. All right. Thanks, guys.
2: UC East Tennessee State.
0: East Tennessee. That seems like a step back.
2: Yeah. Well, he his coach. They lost the job there. He was trying to get in at UV, but. I guess UB only had the bottom salary job, and this one was a higher salary job because his dad or his wife's dad messages me All
0: right, I'll get somebody. All right. Thanks, guys. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond.